And for those of you that maybe uh, you didn't know this, last week uh, my wife and I were not here because we were at the beach on vacation, which was so fun. Uh, It was awesome. We actually, uh, my wife and I went to Fort Walton Beach. Okay, so um, uh, some of you may not know this, but my uh, great, 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 great grandfather is actually the one that Fort Walton Beach uh, is named after. Just kidding, that's not true at all. No, 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 that's a big old lie. Uh, but we do share the same last name, and so I talked about how if I was going to be uh, on Twitter uh, for that week, then it was going to be hashtag Walton on Walton, uh, all, you know, because we were on the Walton Beach. Anyways, we had a lot of fun. This is actually uh, the very last day that we were there in Fort Walton. This is a picture of Catherine and I. I know, look at that. Look at how tan we look, right? Okay, no, more tan though. I'll say this, we're more tan than we used to be. We used to be really pale and now we're just kind of pale. Okay, so we got a little bit of sun. Anyways, it was awesome. My wife and I, uh, we've, we've been to the beach many times before. We're actually uh, coming up on eight years of marriage uh, next month, which is fun. And, uh, and uh, anyways, we've been, we've been married for a while, which means we've gone to the beach a lot. And I learned very early on uh, going to the beach with Catherine that there are two types of beach people. Okay, uh, some of you might know this, but there are active beach people and there are inactive beach people. Okay, here's what I mean. Uh, active beach people are the people that go to the beach and they want to like run and they want to play games and they want to swim. They want to like do a bunch of stuff. You know what I'm saying? And then you've got the inactive beach people. And these are the people that they want to like lay out. You know, they want to tan they want to like nap. They want to read. Like they want to, they want to move as little as possible. You know what I'm saying? So how many of you would say I'm an active beach person when I go? Yeah, I want to do stuff, right? How many of you would say I'm an inactive? I want to move as little as possible. Like I want to just exist for a week. Yeah. Okay. So my wife, Catherine, uh, she is an inactive beach person. And some of you have probably already guessed this. I am a very, very, very active beach person, okay? So just to give you kind of like a glimpse into that, this past week when we were at the beach, I woke up early before the rest of the family got up and I actually went for a run on the beach, uh, which was, you know, a lot of fun. And some of you are like, what? That's so weird. But I'm telling you, man, it was great. It was awesome. I was like running and sweating in the waves and all that stuff. So did that early in the morning and then I got back up, you know, back to the, to the little condo and everyone else woke up and then we finally went to the beach. And then as soon as we got to the beach, immediately I grabbed the Frisbee and me and my brother-in-law were throwing the Frisbee. Like uh, we threw it so long that, that we were actually sweating and the, uh, you know, the sunscreen like made my eyes burn. And that's how I knew it was time to stop throwing the Frisbee. Okay. So we were throwing for hours, loving it on the beach. And then as soon as we were done throwing the Frisbee, immediately we had to cool off. So what did we do? Yeah, we went swimming in the beach, uh, uh, in the actual water, which was fun. So we're swimming in the ocean. And then as soon as I was done swimming, I did uh, my favorite activity on the beach, which is body surfing. Body surf. Anyone ever go body surfing? Yeah, I love, love, love body surfing. For those of you maybe inactive beach people, you don't know what I'm talking about. Here's what it is. It's when you get in the water and you swim in the direction of the wave and you try to kind of match the speed of the wave and the wave will actually carry you to where you don't even have to swim and it makes you feel like you're flying in the water. It's incredible. I love, love, love being able to body surf. Okay, so anyways, on one particular day, uh, I, I, I wanted to body surf and I noticed that out in the distance... Uh, there was a sandbar, okay? Now, a sandbar, most of you already know this, but a sandbar is like an area that's kind of out in the deeper, you know, waters of the ocean, but sand is kind of built up underneath the water, so normally 
you wouldn't be able to stand, but in this particular case where the sandbar was, you could actually stand even though you were in deeper water. Now, this is great because I was able to go out there and the waves were incredible and they were awesome and I was able to body surf. I got in trouble a little bit with the lifeguards and they told me I couldn't do that, but then I went back out there and did it anyway. So uh, anyways, I love being on the sandbar. Now, the reason that the, um, the sandbar is great, but the only problem is it's like a little bit dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because obviously you're out there in deeper waters. And so you can feel the tug of the undertow a little bit more, um, which, which could potentially be dangerous. Also, you feel like cold water around your feet because water from deeper parts of the ocean are actually being brought to you. And with water comes other uh, maybe animals from deeper parts of the water that are also brought to you. So I'm out there on the sandbar and I swim out and I'm ready to do some serious body surfing. And I noticed there's a guy to my left and it was actually a guy I got to meet from Arkansas. And he was out there like standing, you know, on the, uh, uh, on the actual sandbar. And uh, we, we kind of had this funny introduction. Okay. Cause normally when you meet someone and you're doing like an introduction, normally it's like, Hey, how are you? You know, my name is, what's your name? You know, that's the kind of standard introduction. But for us, it didn't work that way because when I swam up, I noticed that he was standing on the sandbar and he was looking down like this. And he was looking down and so I swim up and, you know, again, I'm just ready to body surf. And he happens to catch my eyes and he goes, hey, uh, five minutes ago, I saw a giant stingray right here. And I'm standing here and I'm like, Good to meet you too. Hello, thank you for like scaring me. I just went to the bathroom in the water. Like that is wonderful that she would tell me now that there's a, a giant stingray. You know, so of course I'm like blown away. I don't even know this guy, but he's telling me about a, a stingray that apparently he saw and he's just, I'm telling you, his eyes are like focused on the water and he's, he's just kind of doing this. So I'm trying to figure out like, A, uh, I don't want to, you know, run away um, because then, then I would look like a chicken. Uh, but B, like I'm trying to carry on a conversation with this guy, but again, my mind is just consumed with the thought of this stingray. And so in trying to carry on a conversation, I look over at him and I go, um, so, so like, like what color was the stingray? And then he's like looking down, and he goes, it was uh, about the color of this sand. Oh, good. So an invisible death bringer. I can't wait. This is, thank you. Thank you for making me feel right, right? So immediately after talking to this guy, I start getting freaked out because there is a stingray in the water and I'm feeling all this emotion, all this turmoil. And this was the main emotion that I was feeling. I was feeling worry, right? And isn't it funny that like all it takes is one phrase or one sentence, or one word, and then all of a sudden, even though I was happy-go-lucky before, and I was like swimming in the water, and I was body surfing, I was having a good time, and now my eyes are on the water, and I'm looking down, and I got to make sure that there is no stingray by my feet, and I'm feeling all of this worry. In fact, here's the like official definition of worry, and a lot of you guys know this. Worry means to feel or show fear and concern because you think, and this is important, because you think that something bad has happened or could happen. Okay. Now that's a really, that's a great definition, but it's really long for me. So we shortened it down and we put it in your notes. This is the definition I like fear of what might be. Okay. Uh, uh, so worry is just a fear of what might be, meaning it may not be as well, right? Like you don't know that what you think is going to happen or what you fear is going to happen is going to happen. It just might happen. So for instance, we're out there, you know, on the sandbar and this dude from Arkansas just told me about a stingray, but really it's a fear of what might be because he could have been lying to me, right? Like he could have been out there enjoying the sandbar and then he sees me swim up and he goes, this is going to be hilarious. 
hey, there's a stingray, right? Like, like just to like make me feel, you know, make me feel all this worry and stuff. Or, or he could have been telling the truth about the stingray, but maybe when he saw the stingray, the stingray got scared. Maybe it swam off and told all of its stingray buddies and said, stay away from the sandbar. There's a bunch of humans there. We don't want to mess with them, right? I had no idea if there were actually stingrays around. And even if there was a stingray around, I didn't know that it was actually going to sting me. And so all of the worry and all the fear I had was a fear of what might be. Not what has to happen, not what's definitely going to happen, but just a fear of what might be. In fact, this might be the very reason some of you are inactive beach people, right? Maybe you don't go out in the water because you're not just afraid of stingrays, you're afraid of sharks and jellyfish and all the stuff that you can't see, right? And it's like camouflaged in the water and you don't even know what's down there, so you would just rather stay away from the water and that's the reason that you hang out on the beach because of all that worry, or maybe for you, the worry that you have is, is a little bit more serious than just something on the beach. Like maybe for you, the worry, the worry is about next year, next school year. Because this past year was, was pretty tough and you've heard rumors that next year is going to be even worse. And so maybe you've got all this worry, all this fear of what might be for next year. Or maybe for you, the fear is with your parents. Because you've You've heard them arguing, and they don't know that you know that they're arguing, but you've got all this fear of what might be, and the fear of divorce, or the fear of them splitting up, or the fear of things getting worse at home. And so all this worry is rising up in you, all this anxiety is rising up in you. Maybe for you, the worry that you have is because of your friend group. Like you guys told one another when, you know, when school ended that you were going to be hanging out together, you're going to be doing stuff all summer long, but they haven't called and they've been hanging out with other people. And so now you've got all this worry that you're going to be alone while they're hanging out with someone else next year. And so this worry, unfortunately, is a part of life. It's especially true of those of us that live here in America. In fact, you may not realize this, but the World Health Organization rated the U.S. of A the most anxious country on the planet. In other words, we are experts at being anxious. And it's not just adults. There's a guy named Dr. Richard Leahy that actually said this. He said the average high school kid, okay, that's you. The average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as an average psychiatric patient in the early 1950s. So in the early 1950s, people walking into a psychiatric ward were dealing with exactly what you're dealing with today, only you're supposed to just take it in. And you've got all this anxiety and all of this worry creeping up in your life. And if you're not careful, it'll take over. See, because the reason some of you are inactive beach people is because worry has actually changed your behavior. So you've decided to do something or to not do something based on the worry that you have. And if you're not careful, worry will bring you from a life that's awesome to a life that's anxious. And so the question for us today as we we talk about kind of the inevitability of worry, the question is this, how do I avoid worry? I mean, if we get worried about things that might be, we don't even know that it's necessarily going to happen, but for some reason we still feel it, we still have those concerns and have those fears, how do we actually avoid worry? And believe it or not, this is not a question just limited to those of us in this room. This was a question that people thousands of years ago, in fact, the followers of Jesus actually had this question too. And so Jesus addressed it. 
And I want to look at what he said about worry because it has brought life to me and I think it could bring life to you too. So let's look together at what Jesus said as it's found in Matthew chapter six. So do this, grab your Bibles. They should be like right under your chair, maybe in your lap or the, under the chair in front of you. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter six on page 971. And we're actually gonna start uh, at verse 25. And we're picking up right in the middle, um, not only of this series, but really of a sermon that Jesus was giving. It was a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And he was talking to his followers, but the crowds were listening in because Jesus was giving real life answers to life's real questions. Like things that people actually struggled with, Jesus was actually talking about. And one of them obviously was worry because this is something that they dealt with and something that we deal with too. And so when Jesus starts talking about worry, here's how he starts things off. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. (laughs) Don't you love that? Like, isn't that what you want to hear when you're worried about something, right? Like, like, don't you hate it when you go up to your friend and you've got an actual issue and it's taken you a lot of courage to go up to them and tell them what you're worried about. And maybe it's your friend or maybe it's your parents or maybe it's a teacher and you go up to them and you're like, I just, I'm really worried about this. And then they give you this golden advice. Oh, well, don't worry, right? And you're like, don't worry, great. I want to punch you in the nose right now. Like, that's how I feel about don't worry. Like, don't worry doesn't help me when I'm in the middle of worrying. Like, if I'm out there on the sandbar and the dude next to me was like, hey, real quick, there's a giant, giant stingray, but don't worry, you know? It's like, no, that doesn't help me at all. That doesn't help me not worry. And if Jesus would have ended here, this would have been the worst advice that he gave. But thankfully for us, he does not end here. So he says, do not worry about your life. And then he goes on, what you will eat or drink. Now, now this is huge because the worries of the first century people listening to Jesus were a little bit different than our worries. See, when we worry about what to eat, it's like, I wonder what I'm going to eat. Like I've got options in front of me, right? I've got a fridge full of stuff and I got like all these cabinets full of stuff, but I don't really want any of that. I'm trying to decide between Chipotle and Moe's and like, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling McDonald's fries right now, but then maybe I'm gonna have something else on the side. Like when we worry about eating, that's what we worry about is what are we gonna eat? And the people of Jesus's day, their worry was a little bit more serious. It was, are we going to eat? And so Jesus is addressing a real life issue, a life and death issue that the people listening had to deal with, and that is what they will eat or drink. And then he goes on, he says, or about your body, what you will wear. And then Jesus asks this crazy question that gets to the heart of what the actual issue is. He says, isn't, is not life more than food? In other words, I know you're worried about food, but isn't it true that there's something bigger than food? Like, isn't it true that there's something bigger than just what you eat? Isn't life more important? And then he goes on, isn't the body more important than clothes? In other words, isn't there something bigger than the thing that you're worried about? And we're gonna get to that in just a second. And then Jesus goes on, he says this, skipping down to verse 28. He says, so why do you worry about clothes? Because that's not the biggest thing, there's something else. Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And then Jesus says, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, Jesus right here uses this cool analogy to talk about Solomon, but maybe there's some of you in the room that are like, I don't really know Solomon. I don't really know who he's talking about. Like, was that a friend of Jesus's? Like, I don't really get that analogy, okay? So if Jesus, you gotta imagine here, if Jesus was talking to us, this verse may sound something more like this. Yet I tell you that no one wearing polo 
or vineyard vines is dressed like one of these, right? doesn't matter how much money you spend on your clothes, how much money you spend on that purse, how much money you spend on those shoes. It doesn't matter because I'm telling you, even if you spent all this money and you think you're looking fresh and you think you're looking fly and you think you've got the greatest outfit, I'm telling you, you are not even dressed like one of these, being the flowers of the field. And then Jesus gets to the heart of it. He says, if that is how the grass of the field clothes itself, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire. Is that what he said? No. He's serious going to help us out. He said, if that is how God, not you, not the grass, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, And so immediately he's saying, I know you think that you earn it. I know you think that you do it. I know the grass thinks that it does it, but I'm telling you, God is the one that clothes the grass of the field. Not you, not me, not the grass. It's God that is doing this. So if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And Jesus says this phrase that is actually kind of cheeky, like it's, it's, it's kind of sarcastic. It's got a little bit of humor in it. And what he says is this phrase, I want to talk about it a little bit. He says, you of little faith, okay? Now, you've probably heard this before. In fact, even if you haven't grown up in church, maybe you've even said this phrase, you of little faith. You know, like, like maybe, maybe you've like attempted something or you're trying something and you've got your friends around you and they're doubting that you can do it. You know, they're like, dude, I don't know, man, I don't think. And then you kind of like retort back to them and you say, Oh, you of little faith, right? And then you like go and do the thing. You might not have even known. You were quoting scripture. Congratulations, you have memorized scripture. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so you of little faith from scripture. But here's what's interesting about this. Jesus didn't actually say this. Or at least he didn't say it the way it's written right here. See, you of little faith is kind of like our best understanding of what Jesus did. Because what Jesus did is kind of strange. And, 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 and when people were translating what he said, they had a really difficult time with this phrase. Because what Jesus did is Jesus combined two well-known words. The words little and the words faith. And he like smushed them together to make this big word. And then he applied it to the people like a nickname. Okay, So what Jesus actually said was probably something more like little faithers. In other words... Hey, you little faithers, you. What's going on, little faithers? Peter, Peter, come here for a second, little faither, okay? You forgot to do the dishes, right? It's like he's calling the people little faithers. That's his little nickname that he gives to the people listening. In other words, you don't trust, so I'm gonna give you a little nickname. I'm gonna call you little faithers. So if we look back at that verse that Jesus just said, it's probably sounded a little bit more like this. Will he not much more clothe you, you little faithers? right? Won't he clothe you? You're such a little faither. I can't believe it. And then he goes on and then he says, so, okay, in conclusion of all that, do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Or what about my friends? Or what about my parents? What about next year? Do not worry because the pagans, for the pagans run after all these things. And that just simply means people that don't even believe in God, they don't even think there's a God in heaven, they're the ones asking these questions. So the pagans run after these things. And then Jesus says something that's so huge. He says, and, 
and, and, and this is big, you gotta get this, and your heavenly Father knows. He knows that you need them. He knows that you're worried about them. He knows about the hospital visits. He knows about your parents fighting. He knows about your fear. He knows about how bad this past year was, and he knows about what you're worried about this year. He knows what you're going through. You have a Father in heaven that knows. And so I think if, if, if Jesus were to, were to sum up this whole thing, I think Jesus would say something like this. Little faithers, you have a big father. Little faithers, you have a big father. I know that you don't trust him. I know you think you gotta do this thing on your own. I know that you're worried because what may happen and we're not even sure if it's gonna happen, but I kind of think it's gonna happen and so I'm a little afraid, but you have a big father. In other words, I know that you care about your life, but you need to know you're not the only one that cares about your life. Your father in heaven actually cares about you. Little faithers, little faithers. You have a big, big father. And this statement um, is true. Oh my gosh, this is true. It's just not always easy to believe. I mean, for me, it was, uh, it was close to 10 years ago that I got a, uh, I got a phone call that, um, that changed everything for me. See, I found out my dad, my earthly dad, um, that I care about so much, um, I found out he was struggling with severe anxiety attacks and depression. And for those of you that have like gone through this personally or maybe you've got a friend or a family member that's gone through anxiety and depression, you know, you know how powerless you feel when you're watching someone you love and care about suffer and it feels like there's nothing you can do and it breaks your heart as you watch them go through it. Well, um, I was in college and I got a phone call from my mom and it was early in the morning. It was like seven in the morning. And so I woke up because I heard the phone and I, um, I answered the call and she told me, uh, your dad uh, has taken a turn for the worse. And we've had to check him in to a psychiatric ward. And right now he is under suicide watch. And uh, the news was so difficult to hear and so overwhelming that I remember getting the phone call and, and after I was done, I hung up the phone and I couldn't even process it. So I just rolled over in bed and went back to sleep because I didn't know what else to do. And as the days went on, um, I started having all this fear and all this anxiety rising up in me, but I didn't want to talk about it with anyone. Um, and I definitely didn't want to talk about it with God because in, from my perspective, God was the one that allowed this to happen. And so why would I talk to him about it? And, uh, and so I'm kind of going through this thing alone and I'm feeling all this fear and all this worry and all this anxiety. And it's the what if questions. Some of you know the what if questions. Um, what if he's in there for another week? What if he's in there for another month? <laughs> um, what if he's in there for the next year? What if he doesn't get better? What if he gets even 
worse? What if he tries to take his own life? And what if he succeeds at taking his own life? And all these questions were um, stirring inside of me and it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. But again, I didn't want to talk about it with anyone. And so the next Sunday I went to church and I, I, uh, I remember, you know, God and I still kind of weren't on speaking terms. I didn't let anyone else know. Um, but the message the pastor gave that day, it felt like God was speaking directly to me. And it wasn't just that God was speaking to me directly. He was speaking to me very loudly. And in the midst of all this anxiety and all this fear and all this worry, I didn't want anyone to know about. It felt like God was yelling to me, I know. I know about your dad. I know about his sickness. And I know how much it hurts you. And I know how frustrated and angry that you are. And I know all the what if questions that you're dealing with. And I know that he is hurting. And I know that you are hurting too. But you need to know that I know. And you have a father in heaven that cares about you. Don't do this alone. You have a father in heaven that knows. In other words, God was saying to me, little, little faither, you have such a big father. And he knows. And it was a few years after that moment that I, uh, I ran across this painting that has brought me tremendous comfort. And some of you have seen this before. It was actually a painting that my dad told me about. As he was getting better and as the anxiety was subsiding, he found great comfort in this painting and I too found great comfort. And the painting is called The Great Wave Off of Kanagawa. And this is a picture of fear and this is a picture of anxiety and this is a picture of worry. And obviously in the foreground, you see this giant wave that is, I mean, it's massive, it's huge, it's like there's no escape. And then if you look closely, there's, um, there's about three boats, maybe more, uh, but each of those boats, they have people in the boats, and you can, you can imagine how they feel. You can imagine the what-if questions they're going through, right? Like, what if this wave is the one that takes out our boats? What if the waves don't get any better? What if the waves get worse? What if we drown? What if we're stranded? All these what if questions. And so as you're, as you're looking at this picture, you can't help but feel the same level of anxiety that they feel as they are overwhelmed by their worry and overwhelmed by this wave. But then in the distance, if you look, um, it's, it's, it's hard to see and it, it, it appears to be really small, but in the distance you see a mountain. And the reality is that mountain is not smaller than the wave. That mountain is bigger. And it's not just like twice as big. It's like thousands of times bigger. Like if that wave and that mountain ever got into a fight, the mountain would win hands down. There's no question because that mountain is bigger and that mountain is stronger. And for the people in the boat, all they see is this wave and it feels like the wave is all there is and they're overwhelmed by the wave. But in the distance, there is a mountain that is huge and it's bigger than the wave could ever be. And our worries are the waves and they feel overwhelming. But in the distance, we have a father in heaven who is so much bigger than our worries. 
And I know from our perspective, it seems like the waves are gonna take us over, but you have a father in heaven who's huge. And he's not just a mountain. He's a God who loves you. He's a God who cares so much for you that he sent his son to die for you. And he is far greater and far bigger. And there is no comparison between your worry and God. Your father in heaven is huge. And when you feel overwhelmed by the worries and overwhelmed by the waves, don't focus on your fear. Focus on your father. When you're in the boat and you're worried that this wave is gonna take you out and you're worried that this, that this worry is gonna be all there is in the distance, you have a father in heaven who loves you so much more than you can possibly imagine. So do not focus on your fear. Focus on your father. Because he loves you and he cares so deeply for you. And so the question that I want us to kind of end with tonight, and it's a question that I want you to really wrestle with, is this. What is your worry? And we actually put this in your teaching notes, and I want you to write down what your worry actually is. Like if you had to narrow it down to the one thing that you feel like is the giant wave in your life, and you had to label that wave, what would you label the wave? What's the thing in your life that you feel overwhelmed by? And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's not even that it's guaranteed it's gonna happen, but you have a fear of what might be and this is the worry that's taking you out. What is that worry? And then what would it look like if every time you felt those emotions rise up in you, every time you felt like the waves were about to overtake you, what would it look like for you to look to your father in heaven instead of the wave? What if every time you were reminded of the argument with your parents, you prayed and you heard God telling you, I know. I know. What if when you thought about next year and how difficult you've heard it's gonna be and all the stress that comes along with grades and I hope I do well, what if every time that started rising up in you, you looked to your father in heaven, you said, dad, you're so much bigger than what I'm going through. I need your help right now because it feels like the wave is all there is. And what would it look like to hear the voice of your father say, I know, In the midst of all the uncertainty and all the swirl and all the waves, what would it be like if you and I, instead of focusing on our fears, we focused on our Father? And we directed everything that we have to Him. See, that's actually how Jesus ended things. As He was talking about worry, His final statement, His final um, idea for what they could do in the midst of their worry was this. But seek first His kingdom. I know you got worries. I know you got stuff that you're thinking about. You're worried about what you're gonna eat and what you're gonna drink and all the clothes that you might wear or how school is gonna be or what's gonna happen with your parents. And those are legit worries. Jesus is not downplaying those. He's not saying those things aren't actual issues. But what he is saying is the thing that you need to focus on, the thing that you need to seek first is his kingdom and his righteousness. And then it says, and all these things will be given to you as well. And so when you feel overwhelmed, don't focus on your fear. Focus on your father. Little faithers, you have a big father.
knows. Let me pray for you. God, I, uh, I need that. I need the voice of my Father in heaven telling me it's going to be okay. I need your voice in my life telling me that you know. (laughs) Because sometimes it feels like you don't, and sometimes it feels like the wave is all there is. God, we need you, the rock of our salvation, the mountain that we can go to. You are so much bigger than our worries, so much bigger than our fears. And when anxiety rises up in these students, I pray first that they would label that wave. They would know what it is they're worried about. And then they would bring that to you and say, God, I'm worried about my parents, but I believe you are bigger. God, I'm worried about my grades, but I believe you are bigger. And God, I've been to the hospital so many times, but I believe you are bigger. There's no one bigger than you. And I pray that when they pray that to you, God, would you speak to them in a way they understand to where they hear you say, I know. Jesus, you are good. When fear rises up in us, I pray that we would focus on our Father in heaven who loves us more than we can possibly understand. Thank you for Jesus who made this possible, that in the midst of the waves we can run to you, the rock of our salvation. So now we fix our eyes on you. We are seeking first your kingdom. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.